the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails, inviting you to join the fight to end human trafficking. Look in the eyes to see. Look in me straight to leave. You give me all I need. So give me courage to believe. Each week, Abolition Radio sheds light on the darkness of modern slavery, celebrates the work of abolitionists who are fighting for freedom, and equips the church to engage in the work of justice with hope rooted in God's Word. Our goal is to see a radio audience become an army of gospel activists. You're in the neighborhoods we live in. You're in the ones we're passing by. You're in the ones we call our neighbors. And the ones who still sleep are Now here's the host of Abolition Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails. Vanessa Russell. Thanks, Dave, and welcome to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. We have another exciting segment today and show, and I would like to say hello to my partner in justice, Vanessa Russell, who's on the line. Hi, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see you later today, actually. Yes. Yes. And our guest today is a brother and a friend, but many know him as the Reverend Pastor Kirk Davis. <laughs> Rev. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Also known as Just Kirk. Too. <laughs> Just Kirk. <laughs> Just Kirk. Welcome, Kirk, to Abolition Radio. Well, um, thank you. I'm so glad to be with you guys today. Finally, finally. Yeah, yeah, this has yeah. been long in the making. Yeah. <laughs> busy schedules, busy schedule, schedules. Take it away, Vanessa. Yeah, so Kirk, um, I I wanted to start off by, I was just looking through your bio, and I think, you know, it's so interesting to, um, you know, have I've met you before and, you know, seen you presenting and and uh, actually, uh, my husband knows his friends or went to school with your wife and, you know, have all these connections and 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 not know, you know, all these great things in your past. And so having been able to look through your bio here, um, I see that you have a long history of having served the community, both in terms of being a youth pastor at Providence Baptist Church um, and being involved in Young Life, uh, assistant chaplain at Juvenile Hall in San Francisco, uh, and founder of uh, ministries uh, that help with uh, youth with processing their trauma and specifically post-traumatic stress. And so you've just done a ton in the way of digging into, uh, you know, 
mental health issues that are plaguing our our communities and our children and um and then of course infusing you know the lord in 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 the middle of that and and trying to uh help them process all that they've been through and so um i wanted to just um first off i wanted to give a shout out to your your current church family, First Presbyterian of Hayward, yeah. where you're the family and community life pastor. Um, so uh, shout out to them in supporting you in the work that you're doing today. And, and maybe just tell us, you know, how does that, what's the, you know, you've got this very rich history, and now you're um, a pastor at First Press um, of Hayward. Um, how, how does that align? And what are the, you know, what do you think you've pulled from your past to get you to where you are today? Well, I think it starts off with um, um, just uh, where God placed me early on in my life, and meaning mm-hmm. where I was just born, uh, yes. born and raised in San Francisco, yes. in the Petrol Hill area. Um, uh, I also did a, uh, a lot of my time. I was, uh, as they say, I was a drug baby, meaning I was drugged to church every <laughs> Sunday. Uh, I've never heard that one. I've never heard that one. Yeah, I was a drug baby. I I got drugged to church. Every Sunday in uh, Bayview Hunters Point. Yep. And so um, my neighborhood, which I grew up in, uh, was unique to the fact that uh, it had every cultural, ethnic background there. I grew up with Filipino, Palestinians. Uh, Nicaraguans, um, uh, uh, Mexican, and just knowing the difference of of uh, Japanese and Chinese, it, it just created me to be something different. We we all, as young kids, played outside. We ate at each other's houses. Um, I, I got to know cultural differences uh, real early and learned to respect them. Mm-hmm. Um, learn to honor uh, the differences, but my experience on Sunday was mono ethnic. It was <laughs> all black, and so it also shaped me in a certain kind of way as well. Uh, so uh, it, it kind of led me into some experiences that many of my other uh, brothers and sisters didn't get a chance to uniquely know and understand and. Uh, be in the playground with it, if you will. Um, so I just learned a lot from that. And that I think because of that background, it kind of allowed me to become a bridge uh, to others um, in, a, in a very different way. And so uh, as I gave my life to Christ uh, in early uh, 1981, uh, which is a long time uh, <laughs> ago, but yet uh, it uh, it produced something in me, and God took all the things uh, that were in my life prior and created something uh, in me in my church life, even to the point of uh, I still was going to uh, a very Baptocostal, if you will, church <laughs> San Francisco. Shout out to Neighborhood Baptist Church. Uh, you know, on Laguna and Hayes in the Fillmore district, and it, it shaped me as well into my spiritual life. Um, and I just learned so much about myself, 
learned what God was doing in me, and and they allowed me to be different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they allowed me to be who I was uh, without, you know, being so legalistic uh, yeah. about what they thought I should be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, that's good. You know, and it's as you were as you were talking, I was just thinking about my own experience having been raised in San Francisco as well. And um, interesting, you know, I I came from the East Coast where at the time it was very segregated. If you go back to where I was from now, it's it's all diverse, but at the time very segregated. And um, and when I came, you know, one of the reasons my mom moved us to the to the Bay to San Francisco was because of the diversity and the ability to be exposed to like you said in Nicaraguenses and you know and uh, Pakistani and you know different ethnicities different languages different cultures different food and um, that multi-ethnic you know I see that you you know you you planted a multi-ethnic multicultural church the new generation covenant church right right? in 2012 Um, I just love that and um, and um, I, I imagine I think uh, you know. Oftentimes, I I feel like a lot of that has to do with me being biracial uh, or multiracial. Um, but I, you know, I think that as Christians, a lot of people are gr- gravitate towards that because the more you move in that direction, at least for me, <clears throat> the more you move in that direction, I feel like it, it, it's more like what what heaven will be like. You know, mm-hmm. where we won't be so preoccupied with these stereotypes and with labels that we put on ourselves and others, and more looking at the heart, um, not to, you know, devalue culture, because I think, you know, culture is good, um, but to almost look at culture as a way to appreciate uh, people, different things about people, different ways that people look, um, you know, and and speak and languages and, uh, and, and experiences and and not as a way to keep people away from us or to keep ourselves safe, because we're never safe, you know. <clears throat> I mean, really, <clears throat> it's funny because just taking this from a spiritual standpoint, I've noticed one of the things that I t- I did uh, I did in coming into crisis. I would say, well, you know, these people are Christians. This is years, years ago. These people are Christians, and these people are not, right? And so these people are safe, and these people are not. Mm-hmm. Well, boy, did I get an eye opener there. <laughs> <laughs> Because the main ones who was doing stuff that didn't been doing were the ones that I was like, wait a minute, you're doing what? What? (laughs) You know, so we start making those, you know, unilateral statements that these groups of people are safe or these groups of people are doing the right things or whatever. And, you know, we know that's not, you know, it's, you'll know them by their fruit. Right. And I think it's too also is, I, I don't think we really respect that, that God uh, painted, if you will, with a, such a broad brush. I used to uh, always wonder why my parents used to, and I think it's just how, you know, just different age for different times, but uh, the, the term being uh, colored blind really used to mess me up because I used to say, if God is colored blind, mm-hmm. then why would he make a blue jay and a red robin? Right, so no. Apparently That's not 
colorblind. Color isn't his issue. Color is our issue. Right. And uh, I, and we, I think part of it is really leaning into the beauty of who we are. Mm. And I think that comes out of, you know, later on, 60s, you know, um, being African-American, I'm, I'm uh, hearing uh, James Brown saying, I'm black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. We had some things to do with that, but uh, I think we we can't dimin- uh, just uh, place ours up so high that we diminish, diminish others. That's that, right. That in the middle of all that, that all of it is beautiful and all of it is gorgeous and all of it is also broken. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we... we we uh, at our church uh, have been doing um, cultural months, mm. and the truth is, all of our cult- cultures have this one thing, a uh, few things in common: that there is a beauty, uh, and there, there's a struggle and a pain. Yeah. You know what, Kurt? And I'm that is setting us up really good for our next segment. Sure, we are going to come back with that. When we come back in just a minute with another segment of Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. And welcome back to Abolition Radio. We are so blessed to have as our guests today, Vanessa and I, my partner in justice, we both are blessed to have Kirk Douglas here as our guest today. And we were just talking about um, Kirk and his uniqueness and how San Francisco has shaped him, uh, the diversity of the city. And I just want to add to the fact that when I met Kirk over 30 years ago, just what he said is true. He has been one of those foot soldiers a different type of person, always on the streets telling the goodness of the Lord. And that's how we met. Uh, two young couples, you know, newly married and on fire for the Lord. But Kirk has really um, continued down that road of um, reaching, reaching the inner city, whether youth or just people in general. And Kirk, you were mentioning about there at your role uh at First Pres, as a family pastor, how um, the various cultures have come into play, and, and you're working with that. Yes, um, yeah, um, it's 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 been unique in its approach because I really was like, okay, God, what are you doing? Uh, I came from, uh, like I said, you spoke earlier about um, I had planted a church in the Bayview Hunters Point. Uh, predominantly African-American neighborhood that is now becoming gentrified, speaking plainly about it, and mm-hmm. um, what were the changing dynamics. So I'm, I was watching black churches die mm-hmm. um, because of, or, or I won't just say die, I, I, I was watching them uh, dry up because of the number of African-Americans now living in San Francisco. Some people put it at around 4 or 5%, and it's probably closer to 3% that is in San Francisco now. Um, and the- I have a question about that, because, you know, one of the things that troubles me about that is, you know, when we... 
when we hear that metric, you know, there, there's a part of me that's saying, why aren't we staying? Well, like, what, you know, why aren't there better opportunities for African-Americans in San Francisco uh, and specifically in the technology arena, because we know that that's where all the money is coming in. So why don't we have more African-Americans being supported as they pursue IT careers in IT? Well, I think uh, this is a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. So we have to be honest with, in some things where there's some systematic things that are there. And what I, what I mean by systematic, I do say systematic injustice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, if you understand the history of San Francisco, and I'm say this hopefully as quickly as possible, but uh, the southeastern portion of San Francisco, where Bayview Hunters Point lies, was originally the worst place to live. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it had uh, its uh, earlier on. It was where uh, the uh, where the meat markets were, where the butchering was happening. And so it smelled bad. It wasn't a great place to live. And it had the worst things and the worst places. And so as uh, the 1940s hit and World War II and so forth and so on came forth, the, the shipyards came and, and people came from Texas and Louisiana and mm-hmm. Arkansas and all the different other places and rushed here. And I'll use this term, immigrated or migrated Mm -hmm. (laughs) to those neighborhoods. They came out here, and it'll sound very familiar, Mm -hmm. they came out here for a better life. For their, li- for their lives and for their children's lives. They came out here for jobs. Sounds much like my uh, immigrant brothers and sisters yes. coming from Mexico and, uh, and Nicaragua and all that. Right. They came just like my parents. So um, in that, 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 that section of town got set aside. And so systematically, uh, for what, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, that's the only place where African Americans can buy a home. And so in that same systematic way, uh, the system within San Francisco is setting themselves up to actually, actually systematically uh, exclude those who um, uh, don't have those same opportunities within the tech industry. I actually sat down with a gentleman from Airbnb this last week, and we literally talked about that. And I had to be honest with them and say, there is systematic injustice when it comes to just education, when it comes to uh, the prison uh, 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 prison systems, the justice systems. And we can't just jump over that and say, we just want to put a kid or put some young people in technology. We have to deal with the the system that continues to put them in the same place. And then we can't have any tokens just come out. Mm-hmm. We have to literally uh, be Harriet Tubman's. We have to go, have to have those people come back in within the community and lead others out as well. Yeah. Um, so well, it's, and this, it's like interesting, you know, I just want to chime in on this. So, um, you know, having been raised in the city and I went to, you know, I went to LeConte, which, which is now Leonard R. Flynn Elementary School. I went to Buena Vista, I went to Everett, to McAteer, uh, you know, public schools, and 
And so I, you know, I have been really adamant about wanting to get our prevention education in the San Francisco School District and wanting to provide services there. And oftentimes I felt like I was pushed out and not appreciated as a, you know, as somebody who's previously in foster care, someone who's an abuse survivor, someone who's a woman of color uh, who grew up on welfare and all of that in the city. And, you know, you would think that would be like, oh, yeah, survival survivor leader right, you know, right, right. who's taking taking on prevention education for abuse and, and human trafficking that's this is great but I've not met with been met with open arms right, and some and, of that comes from you didn't go to Lowell or St. Mary's mm-hmm. right. I mean, or, 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 or Mercy, Mercy. Or, or Reardon or some of these other schools that have uh, the connections to make that happen you know yeah um, uh, yeah, and and also I'm a Cisco executive. I mean, I talk about IT leadership. Um, you know, I mean, there's no reason to not want me there, and yet there has been, right. you know, there has been this 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 thing, and and I've often sat back and I've asked myself about it, and I think some of it has to do with you know us being a faith based organization, um, you know, and there being some fear about that for some reason. It, it seems like because I'm not a, a you know, uh, an ex- someone who's looking to exclude groups of people. I'm I'm very inclusive, very, you know, because I lead with love, right, you right. know. And so, um, but there's this dynamic that I've noticed about um, not really being very welcoming. And I think at, we're at this place now where that's, that, sh- that tide is shifting. Um, but I want to see more, you know, when we talk about this issue of gentrification, I don't have a problem with communities, um, you know, uh, growing and becoming people that are living there, you know, becoming a more financially stable and well off. I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing to not have meat markets that where there's a bad smell and, and poor living conditions and, you know, and so on. But what's troubling to me is the 3% piece, right? Yes, yes. Is, uh, the lack of uh, equal participation right. and the lack of, um, you know, desert, uh, uh, concerted effort to ensure that everyone has equal opportunity to um, to these higher incomes, you know, and right. Right. and so it's just something that I wanted to, you know, get your, you know, very candid feedback on. <clears throat> and I have some stats that I wanted to share about San Francisco because I think this is but maybe we'll do that in the next segment. But, right. uh, you know, I, I think this is something that, um, you know, I want to be very vocal about it because I've been able, as an African-American woman in a uh, in an environment where a lot of people don't look like me, I've been able to solve some tremendous business problems. Right. And I believe that there are talented individuals in those communities that have cures to cancer, that have cures to HIV, that have you know, um, uh, you know, that have transformative, innovative, uh, technical ideas that will create income for the United States right. that are, 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 that's untapped talent. Right. And if for nothing more, we should be investing there. I would say to you, preach. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that's part of what we have to understand. There's this saying that uh, Dr. Cornell West says that justice is what love looks like in public. And I think um, most of the time is that we're not uh, showing 
what it looks like to to live publicly uh, in our faith, but also to stand for mm. this is not right. This right. you you can clearly see that there's a. Uh, a disenfranchised piece. There's not equitable pieces in what's happening here, and we need to continue to stand for the uh, for those who can't stand for themselves. Exactly. Uh, I think is the, the the opportunity is uh, for people in power, those who. Uh, um, who have power to release power. And that's part of what justice does. Mm. Justice is about uh, not only standing for those who, don't, uh, who can't stand for themselves, but those who are in power to relinquish power. One of the beautiful things that we have to understand uh, in many ways that many of the young people that you're talking about come with a certain set of baggage that other kids just don't have. Uh, I was speaking of Luke Wilberdink and some of the people from Lowell and some of the people from all these other schools don't have those the same baggage that a lot of kids carry from some of the schools that we uh, that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And we need to help them unpack that mm-hmm. so they understand it, so they could grieve it in a way, yep. uh, but also stand on it yes. because it's actually going to be the thing that empowers it's a strength yeah you know um i yeah. think resilience yeah. yes but, yes that's my word I, 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 but i think also too i'll say this real quick is i think we also need to understand that part of it is uh, uh the violence and the uh, the um the drugs in the neighborhood have created a certain kind of person mm-hmm. um, and it has made us a certain kind of thing and because of that redlining and because of those things that happen um, uh, a good friend dr. Joe Marshall uh, has this uh, this quote that uh, around AIDS and HIV and uh, uh, you get AIDS from HIV being HIV infected am I correct in saying that so HIV is what they call hood infected virus Mm-hmm. <laughs> that people are uh, hood infected because of the vi- uh, the virus of violence around them, and it creates a certain kind of person. It it makes you a certain thing, and then it, it stops you from dreaming about what you can be. And then if you are around that long enough, you get AIDS, which is addicted to uh, incarceration and death syndrome. Mm. Yep. And so we we stand in that after a while, and then now you have a history uh, and, and a cycle of not only the violence, but the cycle of the system that continues to block you in and to where people can't see themselves as any other. And that's why the people who within power have to relinquish power mm. and give it away. But part of that is the church and others like yourself have to stand in a place with helping people to recover from the pain. And that's what we're in the business of doing. More love and more justice when we come right back. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. And welcome back to Abolition Radio, the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails. Let's talk about that love and justice a little bit more. It's getting good in here, getting good in here. Yeah. So during the break, we were talking about 
um, just really getting into a preach about mm-hmm. the role of the church in all of this. And, and um, you know, just before, I'd love for you to bring back what you shared about, you know, uh, the hands, right? Mm-hmm. But And that visual, I think, is great. But, you know, let me give you a few stats here, right? So looking at a study that was done, I believe it was by Paragon um, Research Company. Um, This study revealed that in San Francisco there are 346,000 households. And of the 346,000 households, there are 62,000 that are um, households with children. And I believe that you know, part of what's being forced out of San Francisco is families. Families yeah. are being pushed out of yeah. San Francisco, Man. not just um, people of color, but also families. Um, Correct. You know, that that has that is a, I don't have the previous stat, um, but I believe that that's been a huge adjustment from years past. Um, the other piece is uh, another data uh, bit of research that was collected by Applied Survey Research. It showed that um, the place of residence at the time of housing loss, at the time of homelessness, um, was 71% of those that are um, that are um, homeless in the Bay Area were became homeless in San Francisco. 71%. Um, it also shows that the average uh, this is another study also by Paragon. The average asking rent, this is in 2015, so I think it's actually changed quite a bit. Average asking rent in San Francisco um, is $3,500 a month. That's about right. For a studio. For a studio. Yeah. Um, let me just make sure. I think it was actually for a one-bedroom, but it was one 35 bedroom. It could be a one-bedroom. Yeah, it was $3,500 a month for a one-bedroom. And you said the word average, right? Yes, <laughs> average, 3500 And then lastly, when we look at Bay Area dem- demographics um, compared to San Francisco, um, you know, we see that um, 23%, this was, again, as of, this was 2013, so this is a little bit uh, old here, this, this report from uh, Paragon, but 2013, 23% of, uh, the, of San Francisco is living in poverty versus the U.S. Uh, average at that time was 13, so there was a 10% delta, and I bet you that's tracked pretty, uh, you know, tracked along pretty uh, steadily over the years um, in terms of there being a higher level of poverty in terms of so in summation right we've got we've got households with children moving out we've got people of color moving out we've got a high high level of disparity between poverty levels and uh and u.s poverty levels and city poverty levels in san francisco and then 71 percent of those that are becoming homeless, becoming homeless there in San Francisco. So, you know, the picture is pretty clear that there needs to be more concerted effort applied towards, um, you know, people that are having these challenges. And I think that, you know, rather than coming after our government agencies, which we always tend to do, you know, uh, I think that the church has a role in Mm. that. And you, you know, you were talking about that during the break. And so maybe just kind of share a little bit of that and we can, and not to condemn, but to encourage. Well, Mm -hmm. if you look at the the original purpose of the church, uh, let's, let's even go a little further back. The original purpose of Israel 
was what that they would not only folks would know that they served a God, but that they would be a blessing to the nation. Mm. And part of the the issue with the church is that we have forgotten that we were supposed to be a blessing to the to the neighborhood. Mm to the to the the actual infrastructure of 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 of, uh, of our neighborhoods and our cities mm-hmm. um i think we were overly relied on government participation mm-hmm. to fix some of the issues because i in some way i i believe we've gotten lazy um uh, the the whole thing is that um the church has forgotten that salvation goes beyond mm. just the uh, heaven's gates, mm. that we have to look at that salvation was the uh, looking for the welfare of the city, that mm. it, it had something to do with my health, my healing, my brokenness, all the pieces out that included my salvation uh, into heaven and having that relationship with God. But it included all of that. Um, what we stopped looking at is that the church, uh, and just like Jesus, stood for justice for the broken, for the poor, for the marginalized. Just go back to his original statement <laughs> as he entered into his uh, his ministry um, in the church and when he stood in the synagogue and what he said. All, I, I'm not going to even have to quote it, but I, I suggest that all of us continue to look deeper at what that means <laughs> and what that says and that he's come for those who are broken. <laughs> And I think part of the issue is the church um, universal have stopped or or, or began to fear of getting dirty and getting Mm. messy. Mm. Uh, There's this gentleman by the name of Ray Bakke who wrote this book called Theology as Big as the City. And I believe it's around the second chapter uh, of this book where it says God's hands are in the mud or, Mm. or God's hands get muddied uh, because in Genesis you see the whole thing where he says he forms man from the dust of the ground and he breathes into mm-hmm. the man and he becomes a living uh, soul or a living mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. I think uh, for my my as my head wraps around that and even though we know God is a spirit in my head I still think of his hands if he if he had these hands that he, as he formed us he didn't worry about getting dirty mm. yeah and mm-hmm. even That's his it. fingerprints I, maybe it's uh, maybe it's me I, I grew up my dad did labor <laughs> and my dad's fingernails would be just filthy Mm. Every time he came home. Yeah. And I, for me, it's that image is that he mm. went to work. Mm-hmm. He worked I, it out. Yeah. And he worked yeah. it out. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what God is wants us, it. that yeah. we have to go to work. Mm-hmm. We're going to get dirty. The, 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 the ministry that we serve is not about a Sunday morning when everything is manicured and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I put polish on it and look at how gorgeous we look. It's dirty work. And some Sometimes it's difficult work. Um, even the name Israel 
is I used to struggle with it because if I grew up, like I said, kind of Baptistical, and I used to always think it was around being victorious and being on top, and uh, God wants me to be here. But it literally, the name Israel means to struggle mm-hmm. or to wrestle, like Jacob did when God made gave him that name. And so, what is up with us who don't mm. want to wrestle? Mm. We just want to know how can I get more, God. Mm. I, I, more of you got, and so we're we're fat and lethargic when it comes to the word. But there's not enough of the exercise. What we have to do is go back into these communities, and yes, they're not going to talk like uh, we talk, and uh, we 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 put Christianese on mm. everything, <laughs> and not realizing that they're speaking another language. And then according, and I, I know I'm on my soapbox right now, <laughs> but according to what I remember about Pentecost, that Pentecost was not just about speaking in tongues. It literally is for people to hear the word of God, that I needed to speak the language mm. of the culture that is right in front of me. Mm. And now I'm not trying to say that you got to be, you know, change your vernacular, mm. but I need to speak the language of the culture that's right there. What's left the remnants Mm. of what's left the families Mm. that are there. And I'll even say this, and um, I think we also need to talk to those who are coming. Mm. In San Francisco, it is a transient city. If Mm -hmm. you're there five or six years, you're you're really, you've been there a while. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. And we need to speak to them as well, because I believe God brought them there as well. So what do we do with the person who just came to San Francisco so they don't usurp or, or take the soul of the city? Mission, the Mission District is no longer what it used to be. But we need to speak to it, to those who are entering into it. But that's a role of the church to stand in the gap. Hmm. And love well. I think most of what what happens is uh, we lose the scripture of uh, of love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. You know, and um, I think part of that problem is that we stop learning how to love our neighbor well. I think the commandment is real clear. It says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. And so, who is our neighbor? And and are we loving well? And so I think that's part of what we could do as a as a body. Um, and then I, I guess it would even be stop the judgment on it hmm. and say this is what it is. I know that might not be great grammatic language, but this is what it is, and love them where they are, hmm. not love them where to where we want them to be. Mm. but love them where they are so we can allow people to be before they become, you know. So that's kind of my thinking in that. That is that is a real good pausing point to love our neighbors as ourselves. So as our listening audience is, is uh, meditating on that, we'll be right back with another segment of Abolition Radio. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. Welcome back to Abolition Radio. We were, in our last segment, speaking of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we just want to see and talk about what are examples of that. 
You know, we have, for our listening audience, you know that we have our double portion store as an example. And um, the the store supports our ladies and our housing program, and the ladies work the store. So what is a way that a church or a community could help? They could come help volunteer in the store with the ladies. That would entail um, seeing them full on right where they are in a day, whether a good day or a bad day. Um, churches can get involved with, we were talking about getting our hands dirty, right? And, and working things out and, and, and taking action in, in things in the fight of justice. Our justice is that of trafficking. Maybe your church, like another church here in the, in the Bay area is going to begin to open their doors for the traffic as a safe place, as a, as a harboring area. There are various things that can happen, but we need to learn about the trauma that is involved in, in our case, in the, the case of trafficking. And um, you have more to share on that, Kirk? I know you have worked with trauma, trauma well, youth who have had trauma. Yeah, I, and I think, uh, I think part of it is, is uh, the, the work of the church uh, is also about allowing people to be fully present. Mm. What I mean by fully present is all of them, uh, their, their hurts, their pain, their struggle, their beauty. Mm. Um, and so I think we, as we, we welcome people not only into our churches, into our businesses, but the, the church, we could help them in being okay with being stuck. Mm. Um, what I mean being okay with being stuck, the, the acknowledgement of that I'm stuck. Yes. I'm stuck economically. I'm stuck religiously. I'm stuck in my, uh, the brokenness of my family. I'm stuck in depression. Mm. Uh, and, and being okay with those places um, but it's but it is about us entering in uh, to those places of hurt and pain. I I think the scriptures, um, uh, particularly Psalms, is sixty percent of the Psalms is about praise. Mm. Uh, but the other forty percent, what we don't do well, is lament. In other mm. words, God, how, why am I here? <laughs> why is this broken? Why is this messed up? It's not. It's not uh, uh, the. Uh, it's not, it's not a problem for us to for people to question it in that way. It's us for us to allow people to be okay with where they're at, and and invite them into the the yeah me too kind of conversation. Right. <laughs> so would you say like walking alongside? Definitely walking alongside. Yes. Because there's issues that we sometimes don't acknowledge, and that's uh, and you guys are acknowledging it uh, in your. Um, in your, when it comes to trafficking, mm-hmm. but there's an I- issue with gender, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. within church, or how we look at women, mm. um, and the less than that we even that they even encounter in church. Yes. But it also shows itself in trafficking. Yes, it's in that same way. It's one uh, of the root causes. It's one of the root causes. Yes. And if we're not acknowledging that, then we're not right. acknowledging their full self. Right. 
and we're not acknowledging uh, them to be fully present. Uh, in that. So the task at hand is sometimes um, is finding places that we can authentically come in to listen. Mm. I think part of the problem is that we, we're so busy trying to be human doings instead of mm. human beings mm. and just be and mm. listen. Um, uh, just good. heard this great thing ab- about to, to love is to listen and to listen is to love. Mm. And I think that's part of the thing is we're so busy having a conversation and trying to fix people when we're not listening to the deeper issue. And I think uh, um, if we could join in uh, uh, another organization that's already doing that work, uh, there are other nonprofits that, uh, that are doing some of this work that, you know, folks from other churches and other organizations should try to step in and just go to listen, not to try to do anything else, but to just walk in and say, you know, I'm just here to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, the real, and that's the real place of what we would call disciple. A disciple yes. is a learner, yes, and not necessarily a talker, right. but a learner. And yeah. so I think those, it, it will present itself in so many different ways uh, that we don't know that we don't know. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, um, we always say collaboration is key, and there's no need to reinvent the wheel. And um, but I'm going to let. Our listening audience, just meditate on what you just said. And we'll be right back with some events coming up. We'll be back with more Abolition Radio right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Abolition Radio, where you are invited to join the fight against human trafficking. Do you have any uh, events that may be going on in your community? Well, just uh, real quickly, we... Uh, at our church are preaching through the Ten Commandments right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fellowshiped with a uh, Jewish synagogue, and for those who don't know, Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> uh, so we had a good time meeting with them and seeing the similarities. And mm-hmm. stuff. So we're preaching through the Ten Commandments. We're in right now this week on the Second Commandment. Uh, last week was, of course, the first and uh, it, it it just was really great. So if you want to come by, stop by. We have service at, starting at 10 o'clock. Uh, for those who don't like to stay too long, we're out by 1130. <laughs> and uh, we have children's and youth. And so you could uh, bring your kids there, and that's awesome. But also June 24th, we're having a uh, summer nights tour where Drew Brex and uh, a guy named uh, Sean C. Johnson is coming and it's like a little hip hop concert, R and B, R and P. I call it rhythm and praise. Mm. Um, I'll be coming here to the church. It's seven thirty. Uh, that it'll be starting. It's twelve dollars. Uh, you can look online. It's being sponsored by Rapzilla and presented mm-hmm. by Art Alive Movement. Yes, um, who are my people, my folks, Jalen. And That's so, our girl. Yeah, so we we love for you guys to come by. Bring your young people. Bring yourself. Voyeur into a culture that might be a little different, uh, but uh, it'll speak to your young people, and I believe it'll even speak to you as well. And give the people the address. 
The address is 2490 uh, Grove Way in Castro Valley, and the zip code is 94546. That's 2490 Grove Way, Castro Valley. It's First Presbyterian Church of Hayward. You can't miss it. There's a Trader Joe's right on the corner. You can park in that parking lot. Yes. And if you want to reach Kirk, you can reach Kirk there at the church. Yeah, you can reach me. Uh, my email is Kirk at First Press, P-R-E-S, uh, Hayward.com. You can uh, contact me here. I'd love to uh, hear you, love to talk to you. If you have any questions uh, or if you just have any comments. And matter of fact, I'm here as a listener and a learner. Maybe you can share some, something with me that I still am reaching for and, and love to learn more about you and what God is doing through you. That is great. Thank you again so much, Kirk. And if anyone wants to reach him, um, and you can reach him via our Abolition Radio Facebook page as well. But we have a couple of events coming up as well that I want to briefly tell you about. Um, Starting today, the San Mateo County Fair is happening. And um, this coming Friday, the 16th, there will be um, an Art and Justice a concert, as you were, event there as part of the Before Our Very Eyes exhibit there at the San Mateo County Fair. And uh, Free to Worship will be there and a lot of other art pieces and justice people about the setting the captives free from trafficking. And the next day at Nuevo School, right next door, will be a panel discussion and with speakers from city council people, as well as uh, Brian Woe from the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition um, and others who will be there to speak on this panel. So any questions, um, you can go come to San Mateo County Fair and find that there. Also, this coming Thursday, if you're interested in volunteering with Love Never Fails, you can come to 22580 Grand Street at our Hayward office at 7 and uh, meet there with Heidi to get involved. Also, um, on the 12th and 13th, this Monday and Tuesday, we are um, supporting Saffron Strand and their homeless uh event that they their annual homeless event there at the Richmond Auditorium. So that's an all day event. You can go to saffronstrand.org and get that information. Once again, we thank you for being our listening audience. Log on to Love Never Fails us.com for all information and we just thank you for being our listening audience today and if you have not heard today, please know that you are loved. Thanks for joining us this week on Abolition Radio. We trust that you've been inspired by these stories of hope and survival and that you'll accept our challenge to get involved by contacting us at abolitionradio.org, by liking and sharing our page on Facebook, Facebook slash Abolition Radio, or by making a contribution directly to Love Never Fails. Abolition Radio is the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails, which is a donor-supported, nonprofit ministry that Vanessa founded as a way of directly impacting the lives of young people who are trapped in or at risk of becoming involved in sex trafficking. This broadcast needs your involvement and support. To find out more, simply go to abolitionradio.org and click on Love Never Fails. Today's program was brought to you in part by Case Industries and with major support from the staff and membership and donors at Faith Fellowship Church. 
Our theme song, Courage to Believe, is by Justin McRoberts. Hear more about his passion for justice and art at justinmcroberts.com. And this is Dave Naderhood. On behalf of Vanessa, Benita, and the whole team at Love Never Fails, thanks for listening, and thanks even more for taking action to help set captives free. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.